0: Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive.
1: All right. Welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. This is Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner, your co-hosts here, where we are diving into really the concepts. Let's just kind of step back big picture. We talk to you about financial concepts that will help put you in a position of financial control. So the purpose of all of our education is that end goal of having you be in a position where you can access capital, where you can use it, where you're building wealth during your lifetime. You have what you need today. You have better than any other situation in the future, regardless of economic factors, inflation, interest rates, the stock market. You're in a best case scenario, regardless of everything going on externally around you. And you are thinking and able to leave a legacy to future generations. That is our end goal and the reason why we do this show. So on that note, we are talking about what is infinite banking? We've been in the series for seven parts so far, and this is our part eight of the series on what is infinite banking. And really, Bruce, the reason that we've been even coming back to these basics is that we feel that the basics are really all that matters in so many things in life. The fundamentals, the principles behind something really are what drive our decisions to use or not use a particular strategy. We shouldn't just be saying, oh, that sounds great. Let's just go ahead and do that strategy. And I like many can be that quick start, let's go, sounds great person, but really you don't just need the what, you need why it's happening. And you know, as much as we're saying what is infinite banking, really what we're telling you is why we're telling you what is driving the things that are happening inside of infinite banking so that you can understand what it's doing for you and how it works and how it can improve your life so uh, before we dig in today we have really unpacked what is infinite banking what is whole life insurance what is the special design that's used for infinite banking what is cash value um we've included what is death benefit what is a dividend What is a mutual company? What is the strategy of using specially designed whole life insurance for the purpose of infinite banking? We've talked about what is a policy loan and within that we've packaged what is interest charged on a policy loan and what is a policy loan repayment? That's a lot of things, but there's still more to talk about in what is infinite banking. So as we come into this conversation today, we're going to be talking about what can I do with infinite banking? and Bruce. Before I talk so long and don't let you get a word in edgewise, we've been having a great conversation before we started recording today. And I'd really like to come into this conversation with some of your thoughts on the fundamentals and what Nelson Nash really taught in the purpose of infinite banking.
0: yeah, I was talking to uh, <clears throat> our <clears throat> excuse me, I was talking to our our friend and colleague, um, fellow infinite banking practitioner uh James Nethery. And James and I were talking about how infinite banking is becoming more and more mainstream. And that was the vision of Nelson. Unfortunately, when it becomes more and more mainstream, then you actually get people that think they understand the concept, uh, are their marketing gurus, and they start to water down the concept. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Nelson's big epiphany, I've talked about this before, Nelson's big epiphany happened in the early 1980s when he had a variable uh, loan on a commercial building because Nelson was an investor also. And um, the variable loan rate just skyrocketed into the 20s. I believe it was 23%. And and, uh, he didn't know where to turn to and he was really on his wits end, but he did store for decades, money into mutual life insurance contracts. So he went down and at that time, he could actually go down to the branch office and they could actually write him a check. And then he went to the bank and paid off the commercial loan. And then he took he took the money he was paying for the commercial loan and was paying back the loans from his life insurance contracts. And that is where he said to himself, I wanna share this concept with people. And he started sharing it and sharing it. And then in 2000, he wrote his book, uh, Becoming Your Own Banker. And he understood, Nelson understood that humans have uh, frailties and actually things that they're constantly fighting against. And he talks about Parkinson's Law. He talks about the Golden Rule. He talks about a lot of things that he knows that even the best of humans have to overcome in their life. So he he set this up and, and really said to people, hey, when you're looking at becoming your own banker, what you're really trying to do is balance the early cash value against the death benefit that you need or want to create a family legacy into the future and you also want to also and really consider how long term growth will be established. Compare and contrast that now to what has happened. With a lot of people are just saying, "Oh, I just want as much cash value as I can possibly have right now." What that does is it limits your guaranteed your guaranteed death benefit. It could potentially limit. Because I have to say potentially because dividends are not guaranteed, although every company that we use have paid dividends for well over 116 years, but it's still the dividends are not guaranteed. They're highly probable. And when they're highly probable, you also have to consider whether they're going to go up and down. And a lot of people look at these illustrations as being just pure that it's going to be like that the entire time. Well, I've had these and have been analyzing these since the 80s. In the 80s, we had we had high dividends into the 90s, but then we uh, saw a pretty steady higher dividend, and then in the 2000s, we actually saw. Um, I'm sorry, it's 2010, uh, 2008, when we saw the, the interest rates driven down, dividends started going down, and then they were held very low for a long period of time now the interest rates are going back up and, and logic would tell you that dividends are going to go back up because they always have so now we're talking about a 30 year period which the dividends are rollercoasting up and down up and down so then you have to consider what it means to be in a in a rising interest rate environment which means that the illustration is not going to be accurate it, and frankly it's probably going to be better if it's designed a certain way
1: Meaning so, that the policy is going to be better than the illustration.
0: Correct. Both death benefit wise, both dividend wise, but it may not be, it may not be have as much early cash value. And so that's where that balance comes in. And yet I think the, the vision of Nelson Nelson's three-legged stool of current cash value, long-term potential growth of cash value and death benefit has been lost to simply say, we need as much cash value as we ha- need right now. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand that from younger people, because they definitely say, and I've seen this in my own uh, my own uh, relationship with younger, younger people. Matter of fact, we just had a 24-year-old put a, a uh, $1,200 a month into a policy. They don't care about the death benefit. But then contrast with Contrast that with a 72 year old that I just talked to last week, that has a hundred seventy five thousand dollar term rider falling off, and she always claims she didn't care about the death benefit, and now all of a sudden she cares about the hundred seventy five thousand dollar term death benefit falling off. Mm-hmm. My point is, is that you have to step back and look at your own life and see the balance, not only now as a younger person or a middle aged person or an old person and try to understand that that balance needs to be there in all that three-legged stool. As we go yes. forward, as we go forward in this discussion, keep that balance in mind. You
1: know, I think there's two things that are just really top of mind for me and and really present for me as as you're sharing that. And one is that we talked about this before the show as well. The way that I tend to think about a life insurance policy is accomplishing two major goals and I know that as Bruce just said, the three-legged stool of Nelson Nash, I am I mentally, it helps for me to kind of simplify that into two things. But the three-legged stool Bruce just mentioned was one is current cash value and current, well, current cash value and death benefit, future cash value and death benefit would be the second pillar. And third would be the long-term growth. Is that the three pillars? Right. So the way I think about that is like a teeter-totter With Here's your fulcrum point, the the middle, the balance point where it tips back and forth. And on top, you have this teeter-totter that you can imagine on one side is now and on the other side is later. I mean, that's the easiest way that I can picture that. And the problem is, I think that so many times in all of our lives, we solve the thing that's right in front of us. Right now, you're driving a car, you're trying to get across the entire country, it's a multi-day trip. What are you actually gonna do? You swerve around the pothole in front of you. That's the thing, the the immediate right now thing. But if you only look at the right now, you're gonna you're gonna end up somewhere not even close to your destination if you're not continually calibrating based on where you ultimately are want to get to. I mean, you could swerve around potholes and swerve around cars. You can drive a 1,000 miles an hour and not hit anything and, and not end up at your destination. You could end up in, you know, Aust- not Australia, I mean, Alaska versus getting over to California if you're going from the East Coast over to the West Coast. So what we really want to think about is not just now, but later as well. And the problem is if because of this more mainstreaming and more um Coming into the, the present mind of many people, this infinite banking concept. And because, because it's coming, becoming more popular and more prevalent, there is more of an emphasis on the now piece. What can you do with the policy right now? And the problem is if we trade off and we say, well, let's just focus on right now. Let's ignore the later part. You're not really getting this to work as powerfully as possible for you, and you're going to have regrets in the future when you get there. And the problem is, we need to really balance those two things: the now and the later. Meaning, now is how much cash value do I have access to? I put in hundred thousand dollars in premium this year. How much maximize? How can I maximize how the the portion of that that's available to me day one? Well, that's the now. That might be what you're feeling today. But the trade off is well, if you just only focus on that, you're giving up future growth. You're shrinking that down. You're suppressing it. You're pushing down what your future dividends could do. You're pushing down your future death benefit. And you're saying, you know, those things don't matter to me because they're not present. They're not the pothole in front of me. That's the future off. I'll get there in a week destination if you're driving a car. Well, if you really think about your lifetime, You have an opportunity to build something today that's going to benefit you all along the way. And really, you want to have the most at the end. And if you think about ending with the best case scenario, you're going to make better decisions today. So let's make sure we balance that fulcrum, balance the now and later. And I am just thinking about the marshmallow test, Bruce. I mean, I'm just really thinking about the people who make the best decisions are the ones who can delay gratification, who can say, no, I'm not going to eat the one marshmallow today because I get two tomorrow for the kids that were in that psychological study. It's the same thing of I got to spend all my money today because I got to, you know, live this flashy life and I've got to, I've got to show that I'm wealthy and I've got to feel, you know, like I love all the things around me and I'm, I'm glitzing and glamming my lifestyle at the expense of what? Well, you're not creating what you want in the future. And you can not spend anything today. And that's not the right balance point either, but you want to have that long term focus in mind.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm smiling because that was one of the things Nelson talked about in Parkinson's Law. You know, a, a luxury enjoyed today will become a necessity tomorrow,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that's what happens with uh, with with the marshmallow um, psychological uh, profile. So, yeah, let's so let's, let's dive in a little bit to how you use your tax value. Then,
1: so when we talk about infinite banking again, let's keep in mind. I think this might even be helpful as we. Talk about each of these things that you can do with infinite banking. What can I do with infinite banking? Maybe you're just saying, okay, well, great. I want a place to store cash. I want to be able to create a long-term legacy. What can I actually do with this policy in my practical, everyday, actual life all along the way? And we're going to call that your now. And what is it going to do for me in the future? We're going to call that the later. So as we go through these, maybe it would be helpful to position them somewhere along that spectrum. Is this for a now or is this for a later? And what can you do with that infinite banking policy? So first, one of the things, and this is definitely way over on the now, um, but this would be large ticket purchases. We have a lot of people who say, well, you know, if I'm going to build up cash value for a place to store cash, it makes a lot of sense for me to have the access to that cash to be able to use for other things. And certainly one of those things is opportunities. But let's talk about large ticket expenses for a second. So this is things like buying cars. This might be putting a down payment on a house that you're going to move into in five years or now. This might be paying for a wedding for a child or multiple children. This could be um, vacations. This could be paying for college or um, it could be in your business. This could be paying for a marketing expense. This could be a business acquisition. This could be quarterly taxes. I mean, the list goes on and on. Bruce, I'm sure you could easily add to this. So, large ticket expenses. Do you want to talk about what those might be and frame that a little bit more before we talk about how and why you might want to yeah, use just, it for that?
0: It really should be a large ticket. Yeah, you know, a lot of people are. They call me, or we talk about this, as they say. Hey, I'm going, and large is relative to what you think large is. So like people will call me and say, hey, you know, we're going uh, this, I'm just going to, we're actually recording this close to the 4th of July. So the people say, I'm going, we're going to go spend four days at a lake house and it's going to cost us $2,000. Should I borrow against my policy? And I'm like, well, you can, except now there's a lot of administrative things that you may not want to go through to do that. So I always say to people, really, the large ticket should be something that you wouldn't normally just take out of your checking account. You would think, well, do I need a loan for this? From That's a, a
1: good distinguisher,
0: right? From a from a um, another entity, you know, for a car, for a business, for college, for for a major vacation that you're going to take with the family, where you say hey, I'm taking the entire family, we're going to Europe for two weeks, and it's going to cost us anywhere between twelve dollars and $15,000. Well, then you might consider doing it. Now, why do you even consider doing it is another reason. And actually, uh, Dr. Murphy and Carlos Laura actually wrote a paper on this uh, about why, why actually take out a policy loan for large ticket, even though I could pay cash for it. And this is the This is a common question that I get from our clients when they call me up and say, "Hey, I have the money in in my checking account. Should I just do that or should I borrow against our policy? And the the question or the answer is always, it depends. It depends if they have money for um, uh, the the fill out their PUA's properly. Do they have money for next year or next quarter's premium, so on and so forth? Because you always want to maximize... Excuse me, you always want to maximize the leverage of the premium to build up the death benefit in the PUAs. So, that is a we've actually done uh, recordings on this before, but I just uh, to really quickly talk about this. I just did this yesterday with a couple and showed them that their PUA of approximately $40,000 was going to get them $160,000 of additional life insurance. Why is that important? So now as you borrow against the cash value, you're also borrowing, you're using the collateral of the life, the death benefit. So you boosted Mm -hmm. up 160,000. So now if they were to die the very next day, then yes, they would owe the 40,000, but you boosted up your death benefit by 160,000. So now your estate is still up by one hundred and twenty thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and if they don't pay it back or steal the peas, as as Nelson would say, if they don't pay it back and they actually accrue interest, well, that's fine because they're accruing interest even if they double the forty to eighty thousand, they still have one hundred sixty thousand more death benefits, mm-hmm. so they're still come out ahead $80,000 in their estate. Yes. This is the kind of thing that unless you understand the intricacies of the policy, it doesn't get explained why you should do it.
1: And I think you're what you're also leaning towards is saying, all right, say you are coming up on your policy anniversary, you have a $50,000 annual premium that's going to be paid and you want to pay that full paid up adi- or the um the base and the paid-up addition premium, but you're taking this policy loan, would you be then having to redirect or deciding to redirect that capital to pay off your loan instead of towards premium payments? And what you're saying is, if you have that opportunity, then maybe you want to hold that cash to be able to make your premium payments. I don't know if I'm even saying that correctly.
0: No, I think that's fine.
1: So I like that you mentioned as well, the idea of, do I need a loan or would I pay this out of my checking account? I think sometimes there, there is also the question and there's a world that somebody might say, I love the idea of infinite banking so much. I want to put my whole paycheck in, right? So then that comes down to saying, okay, well, you're going to have monthly expenses. You're going to go fill up your gas tank for, I don't know, $700 right now. (laughs) Just kidding. You know? hundred bucks to fill up your gas tank, you're going to have the grocery bill that you're going to pay the the cashier at, at wherever you're shopping, Safeway or something, and that's going to be another $200. You're not going to want to take a policy loan for your gas payment and for your grocery payment and for your mortgage each month. And for your, you know, utilities bill, that's going to be way too much administrative cost. You're not going to want to treat it like a checking account where you are taking loans daily and and making loan repayments. That's just really, really complicated. But if you were in a situation that you wanted to run as much of your um, income into a policy as possible, then you would take loans in larger chunks. I mean, I don't know if there's a better way to say that.
0: No, that's exactly what you're doing. And, And let me just clear something up. This concept is actually in Nelson's book, Becoming Your Own Banker, but if people don't read it quite clearly enough. Nelson actually says that's the that's the long-term goal, but he says that's the goal down the road after you've established good money habits. And actually, it's impossible for, for you to do this unless your net worth is so high. We don't have time to talk about that in this particular episode, about how the... Insurance companies uh, actually cap how much death benefit you can have. So, if you try to run your entire um, income through it, the death benefit oftentimes exceeds the uh, amount of insurance that you can actually have
1: mm. unless
0: your net unless your net worth is high enough. Insurance companies became um, became more and more cautious about how this works because it's becoming more prevalent. And they've actually limited this because remember, these are mutual companies. They're trying to keep their costs down too. And that's good for the policyholders so that the dividends will be higher. Mm-hmm. So they're discouraging this for all your income coming going through it, even though it's in Nelson's book, but people aren't reading it properly. They're not discouraging it if, you, if you're protecting a big net worth. If you're If you're protecting an income, though, which is different than protecting a big net worth, then if you're only protecting an income, then you probably cannot even come close to doing this.
1: Thank you for communicating that. I think that's really important for somebody who might be saying, I love the concept. Let's do as much as possible. So there are limits. And that's why it's really important to look at what is the right thing for you. Now, one reason why you would run large ticket purchases through a life insurance policy by taking a policy loan and then repaying it rather than by paying cash. If you had cash sitting in an account would be that you have this opportunity to continue earning on your capital while you are paying the cost of capital. So you're continuing to move forward financially rather than just having an expense. Absolutely. All right. So let's go into um, maybe the next thing that you can do. What can I do with my infant banking? I mentioned college planning. Bruce, let's just talk about briefly what benefit is there in putting money into a life insurance policy or thinking of your cash value to pay for college rather than a 529 plan.
0: Yeah, first of all, let's get this out of the way right away. The growth on a, on a younger child is not as great as the growth on an older person. And there's some actuarial reasons for that uh, that we won't get into. So if you're if you're doing it, <clears throat> if you're doing it because you want to beat um, some kind of investment, and it comes out tax free, it's probably not the right thing to do. However, cash value life insurance does not have to go in the FAFSA form, which is the form that every college uses to determine financial aid. Now, financial mm-hmm. aid. Is different whether you go to a public school or a private school. Mm -hmm. So some people say, well, I'm never going to get any financial aid anyway because I make too much money. That's true at a public school where they have guidelines that they have to follow. At a private school, um, if they really want your child, they and they have um, expected family contribution from the FAFSA. But if they really wanted that your child, they could see this and say, well, I know you can pay this much, but we really want your child. So we, they will actually give you some uh, diff- different um, aid packages.
1: Like grants or scholarships. Grants
0: or scholarships mm-hmm. or work study that you wouldn't normally get. Now, if you didn't have it and your expected family contribution is even higher, you're less likely to get it. So just keep that in mind. But the other thing is it's just a, it's just about the habit of putting money away for college.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <clears throat> now you can do it with 529s and Coverdale plans and so on and so forth, and maybe save some state taxes. But they are they do have investment risks. They they uh, have to go on to the FAFSA plan. And if you do not use them, then they actually become like an IRA and you can't access them until 59 and a half. So now you can't use them. I know there's people who are going to be out there screaming, listed a podcast. You can't change it from one child to another child. I know that, but then what if your other child doesn't use it either? Then it turns into an IRA and you can't access it. So this is another benefit from it um, for college planning.
1: And just for the purpose of what you shared at the beginning, the policy does not have to be on child John in order for John to go to college using the cash value of that policy. So yeah. you could have a policy on yourself, the parent, and you could have $700,000 of cash value built up in this policy over time. Well, now, if you decide that you want to grant your child, John or Johnny or whoever he is, a loan for year one of college or year two or or all of his college, and you expect him to pay that back so that that will replenish the Cash value of your policy, you can absolutely do that. It does not have to be on him. That is, for him
0: to use that. That way. is true. But I will tell you, the people that get, that do this for for uh, kind of a living, where they actually um, design this for college planning, they have found that psychologically, people are less likely to touch their children's policy on a whim because it's there for college planning. Where if it's oh, their sure. own cash value. They're like, oh well, we ought to take this for a vacation, and then when they get to college, then there's no more cash value because they've st- stolen the peas. Remember, this is all yeah. about human nature here. So, and Nelson was a master of human nature.
1: Oh, this is this is so good. Okay, so so we have a couple ideas of things that we can do now. Um, let's talk about investing. So, while I have this policy, while I'm building my cash value, this place to store cash, if I think about that cash value as a growing pool of an emergency and opportunity fund. This is money I can use for anything, whether I consider that an expense or whether that is an investment. So I could use it for an investment, to buy a rental property, to get into a syndication, to buy a um, a multifamily apartment complex. Whatever I'm wanting to invest in, in my own business, Or anything that is going to produce a cash flow and produce a return, I can borrow against my cash value and I can invest. And this is one of the primary strategies that many real estate investors are very attracted to because there's this opportunity to have your cash growing. It is accessible, which means I can borrow against it and use it for my investing strategy. And at the same time, it's continuing to grow. It's growing well. It is earning uninterrupted compound growth over time, even while I borrow against it and put it to work in my other in my other investment strategy. So yes, it can be used this way. And yes, this is more on the now side. I mean, you could think about this now as all along the continuum of your life, not really necessarily the death benefit portion. This is really focused on what you can do during your lifetime with a policy. Bruce, what do you want to say about that one?
0: Once again, I think it comes down to... Uh... Thinking long term, which is another tenet of of um, Nelson, and you know real estate investors may say, well, I think long term because you know I'm getting I'm building up my real estate portfolio, uh, but you have to think long term in all aspects of your life. I do believe there are people out there that can actually handle this concept, where they where they fund a policy and as quickly as possible, take the money out and then use the, use the um, income from the property to start paying back the loans. <clears throat> I believe there's people out there, but I think the vast majority of the people have not established the correct habits to fund it over a period of time, then borrow against the cash value, and then pay it back. So thinking long term, so I encourage people not to do this even though we're real estate investors ourselves, even though I've used it like this, I've paid back loans, so on and so forth. uh, But I live this every day. If you don't live it every day, you really ought to take the advice of somebody that has and really look inside of yourself and take responsibility. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, but you really have to understand that you need to borrow against and pay back. and That is the, the main thing about the concept. If you don't do it, The whole system a lot of times falls apart because now you go through some bad real estate deals. There's going to be bad real estate deals. Real estate investors don't think there are, but -hmm. there's going to be. And then you're not going to have access to cash. You're not going to be able to pay the next year's premium. And then you're going to surrender the policy anyway. So, really, you have to develop those good habits of building capital long term before you invest.
1: Yes. So, if you're sitting right now on $100,000 of cash and you say, well, I want to be able to make this money work as hard as possible for me. I have a real estate deal I'm already looking at and I want to put that capital to work in real estate deal. Oh, but by the way, if I run it through a policy first, then I will be able to do both and I'll get the life insurance plus I'll get the investment property. Yes, you can do that. And we advocate doing that. But if you're saying this to me, or saying this to Bruce, or saying this to any advisor, you're saying, oh, but I don't want to give up right now access to a portion of that $100,000, because then I can't buy the whole property the way that I had planned. And I'm really concerned that in years one, two, three, or months one, two, three, that I can't access all the premium that I put into the policy, then what you're doing is you're tipping that teeter-totter completely over your your elevating I guess it would be this way you're elevating the short term so high that you're missing the point of infinite banking which is to have that balance wealth accumulation tool that is thinking long term and what is the best long term wealth accumulation legacy planning tool that you can have in place so don't miss the point don't teeter-totter to uh, to the short term in a detriment all right What can I do with infinite banking? You can save taxes. Now, we call this the triple tax advantage. I'm going to highlight this briefly and then, Bruce, I'm going to have you dig into this a little bit. So, your cash value is growing tax deferred. What does that mean? That means you're not having to pay taxes on the growth of your cash value along the way of the growth in the policy. Okay. What that does also mean is that deferred means at some point you're going to have to pay the tax. But if you use the policy properly, you will end up not paying tax on the growth of the cash value. That probably sounds really confusing. So the experience, if you fund a policy, it's designed well, you are taking loans against your cash value, you're paying them back. You can experience the use of your cash value in a tax Free growth environment. That's your experience. It's not actually growing tax free. You would pay tax in the future if you withdrew more than you put in. But if you use it through a policy loan, you're not going to pay tax on a loan. That's your, you're not, you're not paying tax when you access your cash value in a policy loan. You don't pay tax when you pay back a policy loan. And now fast forward all the way till your date of death, that death benefit pays to your heirs income tax free. So what that means is I don't pay tax on the growth of the money while it's growing. I don't pay tax on using the money properly through policy loans. That's one and two. Three, the third tax advantage is I do not pay tax, my heirs don't pay tax on the death benefit, which is paid out to them. They don't pay income tax. Bruce, do you want to dig into that at all?
0: Yeah. So let's just, words are powerful. Let's. So let's just say this properly. Uh, what you were saying was technically true, but but not exactly true according to the IRS tax laws. So I knew what Go you ahead. meant. It, the cash value grows tax deferred. Mm-hmm. You can access it tax free. Okay. So you are, most people think, oh yeah, if we set it up properly, it's growing tax free. Technically it's growing tax deferred and you yes. can access it tax free. Now, the other thing, great Rachel, is um, you can access up to your cost basis in any, in any place you put your money, you can access up to your cost basis tax-free. So let's think about a savings account. You put in $100,000 in your savings account and you get 1% growth. You can access the $100,000, the original $100,000 tax-free. Mm-hmm. But if you get any growth, you have to pay taxes on it. You put, a, you put a $100,000 into a mutual fund, technically. Uh, if it grows, the, the, your cost basis is a hundred thousand, so you can access up to a hundred thousand tax free. Now I, I can hear the tax police out there saying, "Well, there's different ways, though. You got last in, uh, first out, first in, last out. There's all yes, there's all other different tax situations. Whether you're going to get taxed, but you're never going to be taxed on your cost basis. Sometimes you actually are are taxed when you take it out." on the interest or dividends first, because you can't take your cost basis out in certain investments. You have to talk to your tax professional about that, but you're never gonna be double taxed on your cost basis and the growth. So mm-hmm. just let's just get that uh, clear. I'm um, actually, I actually love to use Nelson's example that he went over a lot of times in think, think tanks. And this will go into kind of our second thing we wanna talk about here in just a second. And that is retirement income. So as when Nelson started slowing down and was just doing seminars and not actually being an active insurance producer, he, he used his, one of his companies to start sending him, sending him uh, money, his actual money back. Okay. Not loans.
1: So withdrawals.
0: withdrawals. He sent his actual um, premium dollars back to him. After several years, the company sent him a 1099. He told this story all the time. And a 1099 is something you have to fill out because the next distribution was going to be higher than his cost basis, and they wanted to charge him tax on it. So a cash value life insurance If you take more money out as a a withdrawal than you actually put in, then you're going to have to pay taxes on it. So Nelson said, I told them, wait a minute, I'm not doing that because now I'm going to switch my distributions. To
1: a loan, right?
0: To a loan and you don't have to pay any taxes on a loan. We know that because if you take a loan out for your car, no taxes, you take a loan out for your home, no taxes. You take a personal loan from a bank, no taxes. Take a loan out from your cash value, life insurance, no taxes. So it's not a weird thing. It just said loans, you do not have to pay taxes on. So that is a way to actually help you in retirement income, actually pay no taxes on your distributions from your cash value.
1: Yes, that is excellent. And so um thank you for clarifying that. And so let's jump over into a little bit more towards the later side. So we're not necessarily talking about what you can do with your infinite banking policy tomorrow or next year, but this is along the continuum of your life later. How can you use or what can you use infinite banking for later? So let's dig into some of those things that it can do in retirement. You just mentioned Use the policy itself as retirement income. This is going to depend on a lot of things. So we hesitate to say, yes, this can be your source of income in retirement. However, it depends on how much you funded into the policy, how long you've held that policy, what your cash value is. And so if you start a policy at age 62, by age 65, you're not going to be withdrawing retirement income in a fashion that is going to support your lifestyle. So let's just be clear on this. This is not a magic um, machine that you put money in and, and then it automatically is going to do everything that you want in the future. However, if you've been funding a policy for 50 or 60 years, well, maybe not 60, but let's just say 50 years you've been funding and now you want to take some income off of it, you're going to have a lot more options. So what does that look like to think of your cash value or your policy itself as an option for income?
0: Well, yeah, obviously, like Nelson used to always say, the best time to plant a tree was seventy years ago. The second best time to plant a tree is today. So there are some advantages of for retirement income, even if you have a short duration, and that and but most of that is actually from uh, reducing the risk in your portfolio. And Dr. Wade Fowl actually talks about that in our podcast, and I believe he's going to be on again, and we're going to talk about that again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it can actually act, work as your bond portfolio. So even if you have only three, four, five years before retirement, you can use it to actually avoid volatility in your. But it's a little harder for income. So and so in
1: what you're saying there is that it can support or supplement your income that you're taking off of other investments, not be the primary income source.
0: Correct. Correct. But what I just as I was showing a, a couple yesterday in their 40s, if they were to fund this for 25 years and right at about their 70th birthday, they could take a retirement income that was equivalent to two times the premium that they were paying in that year. So example, because a lot of people say this all the time, they're worried about like, where am I going to come up with a premium after I retire? Mm -hmm. So we have to look at their other assets because they say, well, I'm going to live off the other assets. Well, we understand that. But if you actually look at the way these are structured and they, and they saw this according to the illustration, remember the illustration is only a snapshot. So it could actually be lower or could actually be higher than this, but this is kind of the medium. If they put 70,000 in at age 70, They actually, at the end of the year, we're going to have $140,000 of growth of the cash value. Okay. So If they put in how much? $70,000. Okay. So we said, so then why would, why would you not put in $70,000 from another one of your assets to get $140,000 of tax-free income? And, and they were just like shocked. Yes, that makes perfect sense. So when you're doing, and once again we talk, we said this at the very beginning, one of the three leg stool is, and Nelson emphasizes this in his book. The yes, there's all these great things about financing and and death benefit at the at the beginning, but the third leg of the stool is the long term growth for passive tax free income into the future, and it can be pretty powerful as it compounds along. At anywhere between three and a half to five percent tax-free, which is equivalent, depending on which you know, income bracket you are, uh, mm-hmm. tax bracket you're in, could be the equivalent of five to seven and a half percent compounding. Well, a lot of people would take five to seven and a half percent taxable compounding.
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah.
0: To to actually net, you know, three and a half to five percent tax- free compounding so uh, that's that's how you would do that for your retirement plan
1: so another way in addition to that we mentioned the volatility buffer or having a, another source so supplemental income if you think about your regular portfolio growing and potentially losing in some years, if you have another source of cash to tap into to support your income needs. For your lifestyle in retirement, then you have the ability to allow your your portfolio to recover that down year, and you're not taking a double hit of tapping a greater amount of the um, a higher percent to support your lifestyle, tapping into principal, shrinking that portfolio in a down year. It's it's like this compounding effect that causes more loss than you want, and which will affect your future income from that retirement income source. And so having a buffer for the volatility of being in a down year gives you a lot more options and gives you more income in later years. So that's another way that you can use it. Also, I've seen another strategy of saying, well, you can be able to, say you have a, a portfolio of investments over here and you have the life insurance. You now have the ability to not make this portfolio give you income, pay the tax, support an inflationary environment where you need more income to withdraw from that portfolio in every year and leave a legacy. You're putting a lot of tax, you're taxing, not by like income taxes, but you're, you're putting a lot of burden on that one investment portfolio to do a lot of jobs for you. And the risk is high that you, you're you ultimately going to want to preserve that principle and only live off the interest. And the interest is not going to do as much for you than if you had the ability to consume everything, including the principal, and still know that your life insurance death benefit that pays out is going to do all the other jobs. You're going to have that legacy be able to be passed on and not have to have preserved a bigger portion of your assets to do that job.
0: It's going to fill. It's going to fill the back bucket back up for a spouse, Mm -hmm. or it'll fill the bucket back up for your legacy. And once again, I just want to encourage people to look up our Dr. Wade Fowl episodes. That's P F A U. -U. Yeah, P F A U. And Dr. Fowl is not an insurance producer. He's actually a registered, registered investment advisor, and he has done the statistical research as an economist. To actually prove that through Monte Carlo simulations that you actually have more money to retire on, uh, more money income retirement income to retire on, and also leave a a higher legacy uh, going forward by using this strategy.
1: So, lots of reasons. So far, we've talked about on the now, moving towards the future, your future later years, we've talked about a lot of reasons to have life insurance and really what can I use this infinite banking policy for? I hope that through this conversation, you are beginning to realize I do not have a diminishing need for life insurance in my later years. There's a prevailing opinion, not in the infinite banking space, but in the rest of the typical- Yeah, the typical investment space that as soon as you retire, you no longer have a need for life insurance. The question is, what is need and what is the life insurance? Well, maybe you don't have a need for a death benefit to pay off your mortgage. Okay, well, that is a more clear statement. But what if I have a want to have more income in the future? I have a want to leave a greater legacy. I have a want for more options. I have a want for more control. More accessible cash, more growth, more income stream sources for supplemental income. That's a reason to have infinite banking and have life insurance a lot into your later years. So, first, we did not touch on having a war chest of accessible cash. I want to mention this because when we say, what can you do with your infinite banking policy? Well, you're building a war chest. You're building a, there's a uh, word I'm looking for, a, a reserve of cash that you and your family can use for anything and everything along the way. Now, this means if you are building cash value in a policy and you get 20 years out and you say, I have some significant investments that I want to make, I have cash that I can do that with. You're building this, this, this uh, preserving tank around your capital so that you can use it when you want cash to. Seize an opportunity or when you need cash. And some of those need cash things might be for larger ticket items that are in the future. It could be for medical costs. It could be for um, long-term care, which is what I wanted to um, bridge over into. And Bruce, I know that there's a rider that can be on a whole life insurance policy. And we advocate using this in most cases. Actually, I think this one's free. I'm going to let you I say know. the, say the, the, all the things because I don't want to mess it up, but it's called chronic, chronic illness rider at no cost. Can you talk about what the benefit of that is and how it can be used?
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, let's, let's just be real here. Uh, there's no additional costs, but the actuaries have already, they've already figured the costs into the policy itself.
1: That's when so you get always, a free anything it's yes, it's figured right, in. So
0: it's already figured into the, it. There's no additional costs. It's already figured into the, the overall cost, And it's simply, it's simply, they cannot call it a long-term care policy. Um, they have to call it a chronic illness uh, writer, but it's, it's basically the same thing is if you cannot do two things of the six daily things of, of living, which is bathing, eating, clothing, locomote, so on and so forth, If you cannot do two of those six. You can access a portion of your policy, either in a lump sum or in a, um, a periodic payment. And then it, You also, if you have a terminal illness where you're certified that you're going to die within 12 months, you can also access part of the death benefit before you die to actually, I call it a bucket list writer. So you can go do all the things that you wanted to do before you die. And the reason I do this is because they know that a person that has chronic illness goes into a nursing home is going to die on average within 3 years anyway. If somebody is terminally ill, they know they know they're going to die within a year. So in both scenarios they know they're going to have to pay out the death benefit sooner rather than later anyway. One of the greatest advantages of whole life it's covering you for your whole life. So they have figured in the cost to just pay it out a little bit earlier and it's a it's a great advantage. It's not an advantage you want to think about when you're 46 years old. But it's uh, definitely an advantage into the uh, future.
1: And again, that longer range thinking, when you can be prepared for the widest range of circumstances, if you had the power to do something today that would eliminate a lot of future concerns, that your, your own self, 40 years in the future, would have the pleasure and the relief of not having to worry about. You have the power to do that with infinite banking by making these decisions today. Um, Bruce, I think we want to talk about just how you can use life insurance and what infinite banking can do to leave a generational legacy. And I think this is something that I'm even most excited about and passionate about because I know that when a person is creating wealth, they want to take care of their family and their kids. And ultimately, they want to make sure that they're doing the best thing possible for their kids, which involves living a good life with them, telling them stories of who they are and making sure that they have a rich heritage and and feel a part of a family and have your value, value system and know how to steward money well. And in addition to that, you want to give them as much as possible so that they have more fuel to go as long, have this long legacy as long as possible for them, for their children. So you want to add in financial resources when you know that the the bucket you're putting it into is already going to be used for good. So if you're teaching your kids properly and you are proud of them and they're living a good life, you want to give them as much as possible to do the most good with. And so that desire to leave a legacy to to improve and benefit people past you is a good and noble desire and life insurance is a powerful tool that allows you to do that because we know that whenever you pass away that there will be this death benefit that is paid and who is it going to be paid to well if you have a spouse listed as a beneficiary it's going to be paid to the spouse that spouse is going to have the cash to put into cash flowing assets and create income or be able to live off of or be able to use for whatever purpose they need to help them. If you don't have a spouse, you you are at the end of your life and you've already lost a spouse. So you're now in a position, well, this is going to be paid to your children or to a trust or, or to your grandchildren, whoever you've listed as the beneficiary on that policy, but it's going to pay out to somebody. I mean, you could even have it distributed, some to a charity, some to your children. You can make determinations at the insurance level, or you can spill it all into a trust and have determinations based on how that trust is, is distributed. But what you have the power to do then is leave financial assets past you. Bruce, I would love to just hear your thoughts and perspective on how life insurance can leave a legacy. I,
0: I actually did a talk at the Nelson Nash Institute think tank one year. Is how to make infinite banking infinite, and this is actually what we're talking about. Is and it's funny. Well, it was funny because um, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. It, Nelson Nash did this with with his family, taking out policies on children and grandchildren. But he also did it with his son-in-law David Stearns, who now actually runs the Nelson Nash Institute, and he went to David the year he was dying because Nelson knew he didn't have many more months left. And he asked David, do you have any policy loans? And David was very embarrassed because he had $500,000 of policy loans out for a very legitimate reason. Uh, He and his wife had just remodeled their entire uh, home, which, by the way, was actually his wife's childhood home, who was the daughter of Nelson Nash. And they really, they just completely did it. Well, they had the cash to do it as policy loans. So he, had, he said, I was really nervous to tell Nelson, yes, I have $500,000 worth of loans. Because Nelson asked him if he had any loans out. And then when he said, yes, I have $500,000 of loans, Nelson said, good, because you're about to get a lot of capital from my death benefit and you're going to need a place to store it. And because Nelson understands, and this is what we're talking about legacy, you pay off the policy loans. Now, and plus, you also have more money to actually take more policies out on yourself and your children, Mm -hmm. and you just keep repeating the process over and over and over. It takes discipline to do this. It takes a family constitution to do this. It takes family communication to do this. And Nelson was an excellent person as a model to show people how to do this.
1: And I think... It can be easy for somebody to get caught up in the details. Who do the the policies need to be on? Who do the beneficiaries need to be? You don't need to worry about any of that. I promise you that if you have whole life insurance on yourself and you have some kind of guidance for your children to be able to use policy proceeds to buy more life insurance, you will be creating that infinite banking path through generations if they can grab a hold of that vision and continue it on and i can guarantee you that it is powerful to look at the amount you put into a policy is never going to be as much as the payout you're always increasing wealth when that transfer happens and yeah. if every transfer is larger you're you're creating the foundation not all not this is not the one tool to do all of your legacy transfer but it is the foundation and can be a powerful foundation yeah well, i like the
0: generational legacy i like to end this with nelson not the whole podcast but, but yeah. with this segment nelson used to say it's all in the way you think and infinite banking is an exercise in imagination
1: mm. that's excellent so let's go back to the beginning and we're going to go ahead and wrap up this show because we've been close to an hour here so what we're looking at is this ability to have a profound and powerful tool that is going to improve your life now and later, allow you to have good current cash value and death benefit that's going to have a death benefit payout that's going to have accessible cash now. And you're going to have cash value growth based on interest and dividends. You're going to have death benefit growth in the future, and you're going to be able to pass on that legacy. And if you think holistically, and holistically is hard, because our brains like to compartmentalize and look at one issue at a time. But if we look holistically at your financial situation today, and we also think long term from now all the way into that spectrum out to the longest possible future you can create, and you do the best thing for all of that, then you are really going to be making profound decisions. So let's make sure that we keep that fulcrum, that balance point between what we're doing now and what we're doing in the future in the right position so we're not giving up what we could create in the future at the expense of today. So I hope that this was helpful. I know this was helpful. I know it was clarifying for a lot of you who have questions along these lines and thoughts along these lines and desires along these lines. So if you are asking what can I do with infinite banking, we'd love to hear your additional questions. We'd love to hear what this might have prompted for you. And there's multiple paths and ways that you can get answers. First, you can comment below this video if you're watching on YouTube or on Facebook or on LinkedIn or wherever you're watching. You can also go ahead and subscribe so you can get the next videos and then the additional content that we have created and will continue to create about infinite banking and about maximizing your financial life. You also can go ahead and send us an email. So if you're listening on the podcast and there's not a way to comment directly, you are able to go over to hello at themoneyadvantage.com. I guess that's just pull up your, you know, email message, email browser, and send us a message at hello at com And that will send us an email where you can ask a question that you may have that we could answer on the show, or that you would like answers to directly. Now, there's a a difference between a person who has a generic question just kind of has uh, wants to feel things out and somebody who's saying, hey, look, I really think that this is something I want to do for myself. I want to figure out how is it going to work in my own life. How can I use my current cash, my current investments, my life stage, my goals, and how can I do the best with all of that? How can infinite banking work for me? We'd love to invite you into a conversation with our advisor team, and you can book that call by going over to themoneyadvantage.com. Right on the homepage, there's a button to access our calendar. You can book a call, and we would love to be part of helping you to figure out what infinite banking could look like for you to not only improve your life today, but to really create a powerful and profound financial future for you and your family for generations to come. So if that's you, go ahead and do that. Please subscribe, please like, please rate and review this show. And we will see you next time. So please remember in closing, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love.